So we're beginning here with a new series that was suggested by a colleague, uh, I, sh no, I shouldn't say colleague, probably more like an acquaintance of mine. Uh, this gentleman is named Michael Kruger. Uh, he is the president of Reformed Theological Seminary up in Charlotte, North Carolina. I believe it's Charlotte. Uh, he does church work, uh, but is a, a New Testament scholar. He's actually a canon scholar. And he said there was quite a bit of interest in a short run through the major species of doubt. Um, and uh, he has offered a structure uh, and I will fill in some of the structure with what I've done over the years on this subject, but the purpose of it is to uh, condition Christians, uh, like the ones in our class here, to be able to be ready for uh, significant questions that raise doubt and concern in our culture. Um, these are meant to be intro points, um, the introductory points, they're not meant to be exhaustive. Some of these things we've gone over uh, more extensively, and I've told you that some of these things we've gone over are over uh, four or six or eight or even 11 part, 12 part sessions in our uh, Sunday school or growth classes have a are actually shorter versions of semester long investigations of these subjects. But today we start uh, with the, f the, the front end of this, and it's uh, again, your greatest doubts and fears, how to keep the faith, when facing life's toughest questions. So this was something designed by a, uh, a seminary president uh, who got a, an earned doctorate in New Testament uh, that's been extremely popular and practical uh, for the lay folks in his Sunday school class, which is also geared toward uh, evangelism and conversational apologetics. So uh, this first lesson is, uh, in, in a world like ours, um, what role do doubts and fears play in the Christian life? Now, some might ask the question, why even do a class like this? Are you just, you know, you want to talk about losing people and losing uh, uh, interest? I don't want you to bring up my fears and doubts and, and talk about them and discuss them. And, well, uh, there's a benefit to this, and we're going to talk about it today. But doubt can cover, just if you get to general definitions, we begin here, doubt can cover really a wide range of states of mind. It can incorporate what we call anxiety, worry, fear, uncertainty, just questioning, despair, unbelief. In other words, it has a what scholars call us a wide semantic range. Um, uh, there's some definitions that are really helpful, and I want to give you at least three wider works on the subject of doubt, two older ones and one more modern one that I found incredible incredibly helpful, uh, worth going through the entire books on the subject, and I'll give you some of the definitions <clears throat> out of there. Uh, the lack of certainty about the truthfulness of Christianity in particular, one's own faith, and how it applies to real-life situations is a good basic working practical definition from Gary Habermas in his excellent book called The Thomas Factor. And this is coming from a guy who's logged hundreds of hours very patiently walking through doubt with students and skeptics. Uh, Gary Habermas, if you remember, the, the world's expert on the resurrection, uh, a, a significant expert on the Shroud of Turin, and uh, somebody who's uh, educated himself with regard to NDEs, near-death experiences and deathbed experiences. His Thomas Factor is free on his website for a digital download. Uh, 
at GaryHabermas.com. Uh, his students run the website, and it's a great, great website, especially one that you know he just gives input, and the students basically uh, pay for it, uh, put it together, run it, and monitor it. But a lot of Gary's works are available there for free. He's just an incredible, incredible guy, highly credentialed, doesn't carry himself like a, a pedantic, uh, arrogant, uh, nose-in-the-air scholar, but it's very down-to-earth, a guy's guy, and again, I could call him a close, uh, a fairly close friend. Uh, but yeah, the Thomas Factor is off Gary Habermas's site. <clears throat> the second one comes from a, uh, another book that's, a, uh, again, a little longer than the Thomas Factor, which is a small book from, uh, l in my opinion, one of the best orators living today, and he happens to be a Christian, the son of missionaries to China. His name's Oz Guinness, and yes, that's the Oz Guinness from uh, the Guinness fame. Is is great, great his paternity includes uh, includes the, the 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 famous Guinness Brewery who, who started the the Guinness Beer and uh, was a churchgoer. But he has two books on doubt. Uh, the older one is Doubt and Two Minds, and the newer one's God in the Dark. Um, listen to his working definition. Doubt is a state of mind in suspension between faith and unbelief, so that it is neither of them wholly, and it is each of them only partly. So really, really interesting. Guinness uh, insightfully adds the Latin word for doubt is dubitare, comes from an Aryan root meaning two. So to believe or have faith is to be in one mind with regard to accepting something as true. To disbelieve is to be in one mind about rejecting it. So to doubt is to waver between the two, or as the scriptures describe it, uh, being tossed about to and fro. They use a, a, a seafaring analogy. Um, and so to be in two minds. And that's why doubt is really disturbing to us. Uh, it splits the mind. And this is, again, going with Guinness's definition, which goes back to the Latin root word. Contrary to popular belief, the uh, intellectual doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt is an in-between, a seesawing between dangling in the middle. Uh, I guess that's I guess a good way to put it. Yet, uh, again, make no mistake about it, doubt never stays put. Uh, it's definitely, God's Guinness says it's not neutral. Um, it eventually works toward either completing the doubt and finishing it into unbelief or works its way the in the other direction and can be extremely powerful motivator for bolstering one's faith and one's confidence in something. Um, to put it this way, this is the way Guinness puts it, if, if ours is an, ex, an examined faith, we should be unafraid of doubt. Uh, there's no believing without some doubting, and believing is all the stronger for understanding and resolving doubt. Um, so again, for those who are unsure about God's trustworthiness, you know, this is really helpful. And for those who are in a dark place and wanting to know why, this is this accounts across the board for this sort of thing. The way I've usually put it with students is this. Doubt is devastating for a lazy person. Devastating. But if you're a person that can get motivated and has some level of a work ethic, doubt can be an enormous, an enormously transformative experience for your your faith walk or your confidence in just about anything, but especially your confidence in who God is and who Jesus is. The last book I wanted to bring you is a more modern book, and extremely, it took uh, this person years to do this book, and he's extremely, just a person that's gone out of his way to really attack his doubt and be informed. His name's, he's a pastor in North Carolina named Bobby Conway. Um, he's the host of the uber-popular One Minute Apologist. It's gone longer than a minute, but they try not to go over six minutes. But he would go set up at conferences with Christian scholars and apologists and uh, philosophers and, 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 and biblical text experts um, and basically set up a, a, a makeshift interview area with a little backdrop and two, two stools sometimes, sometimes just standing. 
and he'd try to get them to give a one-minute, a concise answer that doesn't seem superficial uh, by using, you know, using their words really, well, really, really in an economic way, but not in a way that, that makes the uh, content look flippant. Um, but his exceptional book on modern doubt is called Doubting Toward Faith. A great, great title there, but I, I, it comes highly recommended, all three of them. Thomas Factor, Doubt in Two Minds, God in the Dark, and then the uh, Doubting Towards Faith, uh, Conway, Bobby Conway's book. Again, an, an extremely informed, apologetics-oriented pastor in North Carolina. Uh, in his book, he, he has a number of different things we're going to go over here on the front end, but the, you know, he actually used the example of Mother Teresa, which for those that are informed, and normally these are people in the scholarly world, not people that uh, just know about her, about her, her popular orientation with the help of the untouchables or called the Dalits in Calcutta, but uh, uh, in, in, in her author, uh, authorized biography, Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light, um, the 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 the, uh, the biographer there includes some of her private letters and journals. And we learned that uh, this nun was bombarded by doubt throughout her time of working with some of the poorest and most indigent and most desperate circumstances on the face of the planet. Um, she would describe it as a dark cloud that wouldn't lift. Uh, they plagued her until her death. Her death was in 1997. Um, she felt abandoned by God many times, even to the point of questioning God's existence. Yes, even Mother Teresa. Listen to this. In 1959, she wrote this, quote, If I ever become a saint, I will surely be a saint that is in the darkness, a saint of darkness. Um, a few years earlier, she wrote uh, the archbishop, an, arch, an archbishop named Perrier in Calcutta, who was kind of the head over uh, all the Roman Catholic uh, missionaries and the, the, the head of the, basically, as A.G. says, the district there in Calcutta. Um, uh, listen to what she said. There's so much contradiction in my soul. Such deep longing for God, so deep that it's painful. A suffering continual, and yet not wanted by God, repulsed, empty, no faith, no love, no zeal. Souls hold no attraction. Heaven means nothing. To me, it looks like an empty place. The thought of it means nothing to me, and yet this torturing longing for God. Pray for me, please, that I keep smiling at him in spite of everything, for I am only his, so he has every right over me. I'm perfectly happy to be a nobody, even to my God. This is an example of Mother Teresa doubting toward faith and not having a lot of resources in a remote area. And the the, the worst kind of extremes for a missionary uh, out there was afflicting her. Um, she, again, felt stuck in hopelessness. But notice, she, you know, she didn't give up hope. Even feeling forsaken by God, she never forsook God. Um, I want to give you a little bit of what Perrier wrote back to her, the archbishop wrote back to her. Listen to this, quote, With regard to the feeling of loneliness, of abandonment, of not being wanted, of darkness of the soul, it is a state well known by spiritual writers and directors of conscience. This is willed by God in order to attach us to him alone, an antidote to our external activities, and also, like temptation, a way of keeping us humble in the midst of applauses, publicity, praises, appreciation, etc., and success. To feel that we are nothing, that we can do nothing, is the realization of a fact, a true spiritual fact. The two great, great themes most commonly coming up between the 66 books of our divinely inspired Bible is gratitude and dependence. Dependence. So we want to also talk about uh, the two extremes to, uh, to avoid when it comes to doubt that churches seem to take one of these two uh, uh, extremes when it comes to doubters. One is to shame doubters. Uh, 
Some churches treat doubters like second-class citizens. This has been the, the majority position amongst Protestant churches. Even as potential enemies of the faith, uh, tough questions are discouraged. You're said to pray through it or watch out. One of the ways people cover their inability to answer or their lack of deep contemplative thought on the subject or their familiarity with those that have is to warn the person to stop asking the question. Uh, you know, your faith might be in jeopardy. Now, some, there's a place for that sort of thing. Uh, Oz Guinness talks about a time to warn where the doubt is metastasized. But for that to be the majority view, this happened to a close friend of mine who's now a teacher of Latin, taught Latin and theology at, at, at the academy with me up north. Uh, this happened to him too when he was when he was handed Bart Ehrman's book, probably not probably the best known New Testament skeptic on the planet. And when he went to his community to ask for answers, even for some of the some of the particular questions, he was warned that okay, you, you might need to stop asking these questions because his youth pastors didn't know it, his pastor didn't know it, his parents didn't know it. So he naturally assumed there wasn't an answer and had a, had a dark night of the soul. Um, the biblical response, of course, is that God is compassionate towards doubters. You see this in Jude, uh, especially in that, in that powerful one-chapter run, warning about really, really, really compromised teachers. Um, but we're to be com- have compassion towards doubters. Um, Maybe you can think of a couple of examples, uh, but doubting from a biblical standpoint is a normal part of the Christian life. Many of the great saints of old had doubts as well as the biblical characters as well. The other extreme we want to avoid is what a lot of progressive or emergent churches are doing now, which is celebrating doubters as being uber honest. Um, some churches tend to treat doubters as if this they doubt is the ultimate virtue. It's a, somehow a sign of maturity to be skeptical about everything you believe. They call they talk about the sin of certainty. This is a you see this in Philip Pullman or maybe not Philip Pullman but uh, Philip Gully's work. Uh, Pullman was a his dark materials I think, but um, oh, as well as in Richard Rohr, the 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 massively influential at least in progressive circles monk uh, there. But uh, again, it's uh, it's not a sign of maturity. It's not that the doubters actually are. You know, we, we live in a culture that treats skeptics like heroes. Uh, people that have deep, deep ambivalence or uncertainty about certain things, especially religious things. But when they're certain about other things, um, we act like they're again their selective certainty is somehow virtuous, um, but our selective certainty isn't. So uh, the biblical response, of course, is to call us. I mean, this, we're called away from doubt and toward faith all the time. I think of Matthew Matthew twenty one twenty one. I think of uh, James one six. God wants us to trust Him with confidence. Uh, but this doesn't come by osmosis or by someone being a very passive consumer of faith. So again, doubt if left unchecked can do real spiritual damage to somebody. Again, it's, you can it can pull you in that two minds into into, uh, into very very negative places. A place where doubt isn't exactly unbelief, but it can lead toward unbelief. Um, Interesting. You can get you get a quote here um, uh, that I, I put in the notes. Uh, God appears to be less threatened by doubt than does the church, says Philip Yancey, and that would be that one of shaming doubters, that first extreme you want to avoid. Um, so again, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, you know, one positive thing to say uh, the in between between celebrating and shaming doubters is a lack of doubt doesn't necessarily mean you're on you're, you're super spiritual. It may mean you're just shallow. I mean, we have to again. So we don't want to celebrate doubters, but we also don't want to say that if you are if you were without doubt altogether, that you're automatically super spiritual. You could just be shallow, or it could be that you have a, an earned confidence in what you believe. So um, let's get into the various causes of doubt very quickly. Um, you know, all sorts of questions come up with specifics. We talked about this. 
um, in, in, in our class before when we discussed this at length with, with questions that come from the skeptic. But, you know, these sort of things run the gamut. God, why would you allow my spouse to die at such a young age? Why did my child have to get incurable leukemia? Why, why are so many starving children in the world? Uh, can I trust the Bible? Isn't it just made up and full of contradictions? Hasn't it been changed a lot over the centuries? What's the fate of those who never heard of Jesus? Isn't Christianity just for weak-minded, superstitious, naive people? Um, does God really even exist at all? If so, what does he care about my petty little needs? On and on and on and on. Why, 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 why? Like a chorus of a song we can't get out of our mind. The why questions tend to peck at our at our minds uh, and our spirits. They just won't go away. Um, but here's the thing. Again, uh, this is where you, you uh, attempt to attack doubt. Um, and, and again, another thing to warn about that uh, Gary is particularly good at pointing out in his book, The Thomas Factor, and in his discussions in general about doubt and working with so many high-end intellectual doubters over the years, is what you want to get away from is somebody who will constantly ask why to avoid making a decision. One of the ways we test whether a belief is authentic is does it meet reality? Where does the rubber meet the road where there's some sort of evidence that you actually believe this thing? You can, I've said often that why is literally the most powerful human question, a question a human can ask, and one of the most immoral or at least irresponsible questions a human can ask. When, when why is employed to find things out authentically and to help yourself and others, awesome. Awesome. That's that's at the heart of the scientific enterprise. But on the other end of it, if why is just used to put off doing something, when the kid, say, think of the kid that keeps asking why about curfew or why about cleaning a room, and the parent gets exasperated at the end of the long series of things is because I said so. Um, uh, you want to be careful about that, the yeah, but, or yeah, what if. Um, and Gary's really, really, really strong about this. Again, um, he doesn't. This is one way he says that people get into a what he calls a rhetorical or a verbal pattern of letting doubt erode their faith. Um, there has to be a way, hypothetically, you could come out of it. Um, this happens when when doubters talk to you and they just want to discredit you. They call they're called steamrollers. They won't give you credit for answering something plausibly or even credibly. Instead, they move on to a barely related subject that they think you can't answer, so they could just trip you up and discredit you in front of people. Um, this is a really really important. Uh, point to make here that, you, that the, the yeah, what if could be in, almost infinitely asked to put off uh, coming to a conclusion about something. So you want to make sure that you don't have this, this sort of thing where just any question can come up where uh, they can just continue to say, but yeah, but what about this? And yeah, but what about that? And then what about this related subject? And what about that? Um, the, the, the yeah, but what about this has a lot of flawed assumptions in it. Here's a big one. That every answer to every question has equal weight and authority and that's just that's just not true um that you know what about my alternative answer uh is somehow equated with your reasoned logical philosophical or evidenced answer is just not you know we may live in a culture that does that sort of thing but it's an illegitimate move um it's assuming that all knowledge has has equal validity or or, or, or lack of veracity uh, and it's just not the case we don't live that way for sure so um yeah, uh, if you're one of the lucky ones that can't really relate to deep doubt, then I do think it's it, you can make this, I'm not sure you can make it in, directly out of the Bible, but indirectly that it's your responsibility to help those that do. Um, again, it's good to remember Jude's exhortation, have mercy on those who doubt. Um, but again, uh, yeah, we want, we, wanna, uh, we wanna get through dark doubt and real tragedy by looking for really solid uh, answers progressively. Um, so, uh, 
yeah, some other issues that come up um, that are really that really seem to be on the front end of causing doubt or at least correlated to it are unanswered questions. We've talked about this. Uh, some people have just never heard really good arguments for theism or Christianity. That's a lot of people these days. Um, another that everyone in here can easily relate to is personal suffering and evil. Um, this may be the number one cause of doubts and something we, we will cover uh, we cover extensively, but also we'll at least I think we'll try to burn two sessions on this to cover it as a cause of doubt that, uh, that we can get used to having some answers and to put these into the queue of conversational questions, uh, some of the, the, the ways Christian scholars have ably interacted with evil and suffering. The corruption in the church, a big one. I, I'm working, as you know, as a, at a church right now. Um, uh, Christians damage Christ's cause more than enemies and foes, said John Chrysostom, the golden-tongued preacher uh, from the uh, from early church days. Another issue that is biblically supported as well is unrepentant sin. Um, beliefs affect actions, but actions also affect beliefs. Um, this is a big deal that you can have unrepentance in your life and that be a cause of you pumping your doubts up and pumping your questions up and downing the solid things that have happened in your life and cause you to forget. Um, another is irrational worry. Irrational worry. Um, uh, some of us are, have been trained at our mother's knee to be doubters. It's, and so we doubt about Christianity because we doubt everything. <laughs> you know, I've been described as a yeah, right guy. Uh, that, that doesn't mean I'm always plagued with doubt, but that does mean I, it, I, I tend to prefer evidence before I believe things. So, um, you know, if you think about external to your mind, external threats would be things like the new atheist uh, trajectory that they put some people in, at least the, the internet, they seem to be living on on the internet, uh, internet bloggers, uh, elevating to a popular level internet skeptics like Bart Ehrman, um, so uh, Reza Aslan, you know, the, the Islamic uh, questioner of the New Testament and uh, uh, yeah, um, moral regression that we call progress, so like a legalization of same-sex marriage, celebration of transgenderism, uh, used to be called gender dysphoria, and the, the, the dangers of marijuana as a gateway and an addictive substance that had negative, really deeply negative effects on your brain. Um, that's now gone, so this new moral progression, which is really a retrogression, can actually cause doubt to form because you're having to go against the move into uh, legitimizing these things, some of the internal threats. Again, the church. You know, if you have a church that either has people in it that let you down, we've talked about that, or, or even a church trying to remain culturally appealing by undermining the Bible subtly, or even overtly. Um, you have charlatan preachers who manipulate and you know extort their congregations. You have lazy, inept, ignorant preachers. You have pedophile priests in in in, in a significant. Uh, segment of the the American diocese and the Roman Catholic uh, tradition, um, people are trying to give Christianity a facelift uh, by having it go along with the spirit of the age. That say we're going to help along this progress towards globalization and pluralism. Um, again, you, you you know these are examples of things that can happen uh, internally to the church and then internally to your mind, twisting scripture to make it condone or approve of current immoralities. Uh, you know, many church leaders aren't really equipped to handle their congregants' doubts. The idea that uh, style is more important than substance, uh, and, and again, this creates a predictive trajectory of apostasy. You think of like Rob Bell and even Aaron Rodgers. Um, uh, David Kinnaman talks about this in his excellent book, You Lost Me, when he tries to analyze the apostasy rate amongst young people and what they're saying about why they left. Unexpressed doubts, one of the most powerful destroyers of faith, is the one-sentence summary of Kinnaman's uh, Kinnaman's 
massive sociological work there, or really impressive sociological work. Um, Conway lists a number of modern doubt triggers. Uh, one is that you believe the apparently ridiculous, the belief in miracles or some of the supernatural of things in the Bible is authentically historically happening. Is People are taught by our culture not only to question it, but to ridicule it. Uh, demanding certainty uh, for, for faith in every area is, is really a, a doubt trigger. Um, life's general injustices, right? Uh, apparent Bible contradictions, suffering and evil we mentioned, uh, the weight of unconfessed, unrepentant sins. Again, internet bloggers. Again, in a soundbite culture, you know, I think we're just too quick to deem as worthy the less than credible platform some have made for themselves. This is Conway speaking here. Um, I'm thinking of certain, I guess, bloggers who really kind of proliferate online, and their opinions aren't generally supported by sound research. Um, uh, again, uh, there's many, many bloggers that uh, basically treat their stream of consciousness as authoritative, uh, and the undiscerning reader can't tell the difference uh, between people more interested, as Bobby Conway says, between flair than facts. They're more interested in flair than facts. Um, so again, the Bible's often a direct target of bloggers. It, it, I don't know why the internet, maybe it's because it was made by largely godless Silicon Valley folks uh, teaming up, but I don't know why Christianity feels like not the majority world religion, but theism and Christian theism feels like the minority position when you go online. It's actually, again, almost a, a type of fake entertainment, like when they put up fake sets and fake uh, characters and everything's, you know, pretend. And that Hollywood, TV, uh, digital, the digital world follows that. It gives a, a false impression that you're in the minority, um, that this is a, you know, that this is a minority position. Um, so again, um, you know, you can have uh, all sorts of things like that happen. Failing to radically seek or follow God, Conway says, a misguided relationship to prayer. Um, uh, what does he mean by that? He says, well, there's a number of things here. This is worth according out here. First, uh, believing false teaching on prayer can create spiritual confusion and doubt. Second, thinking God's on board with every request you make, only to later be disappointed when it doesn't work out. Third, assuming that since God knows everything, prayer is a waste of time. Fourth, wrongly protecting our uh, projecting our desires on God, says Conway, which sets us up to experience uh, blown expectations and tempts us to doubt. And then fifth, at times God's seeming, God seeming detachment, disinterest, and slowness to respond triggers doubt. So um, what about battling doubt? How do we you know, deal with this sort of thing? There's four suggestions uh, that I think are really, really positive. First, don't go it alone. Get into a group of people that are going to search and, and are, are not tend, don't tend to be passive and lazy about their discipleship and will go after these questions and answers. Don't go it alone. Do it together. This is one of the biggest things we used to tell people before they go off to secular school after our Christian academy is don't let your primary friend group be constituted by skeptics no matter how appealing their personality is to matching yours uh, by way of a platonic friendship. Uh, you need to be really, really, in other words, don't be unequally yoked beyond marriage, but in your primary friend groups. You can have skeptics and doubters that are people you connect to, classmates, but they don't need to be your primary band of brothers or sisters group. Um, study your faith deeply. Get used to studying faith deeply and taking it very seriously. Uh, go get wise counsel. Get vetted wise counsel. People given to interacting with these things and who are prone to having to present these to people that largely don't believe get get wise counsel and maybe one of the most important things that c.s lewis reminds us of and it's this doubt your doubts um doubt your doubts uh what 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 do you do with that don't stop 
Um, if you're going to doubt the the, the, the the things that are supposed to be the central ideas that inform all the other ideas in your life, doubt your position on whether this doubt and skepticism is authentic. Remember things like, if this was as devastating as I thought it was, um, it would have sunk the faith by now. This can't be the first time this has been thought of. Um, wouldn't more people know that Christianity discredited if this was the case. Maybe one of the biggest, just because I haven't thought of an answer or my 30-minute internet search hasn't produced an answer doesn't mean there isn't one out there. Um, sometimes answers come slow through time and not aren't immediate, though we're in an immediate information age. Uh, these are big, big things. So you, you go on and, and doubt you know, your alternative position. And this comes by being an adept presenter of the Word of God too through the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you, I don't ever let anybody just put their feet up and take, unless it's set up this way at a, at a university, but just sit, put their feet up and throw darts at my answers. It's going to be a give and take. And I'm going to be able to ask questions after they ask questions. And just so they know I'm not dodging, I'll answer some of the questions as best I can. But they're going to have to answer some questions for me too. So that's, again, that's a way to get them to doubt their doubt. You know, what alternative are you offering? Everybody needs to have an answer to this sort of thing or, or some sort of interaction with this sort of thing. What's your position? What's your alternate position? Um, so again, uh, you know, listen to one of my favorite Russian authors, the, uh, again, inimitable Fyodor Dostoevsky. It is not as a child that I believe and confess Jesus Christ. My Hosanna is born of a furnace of doubt. How cool. This is not him saying I'm a super Christian. It just meant that this was, this, this came not through the ease of being raised as a Christian and just the suffering that generally comes to people, but this came through me working out these alternatives and seeing how desperately bad they were, how pitifully poor these alternatives were to, uh, to the Christian, the idea of Christian theism. Um, so, uh, again, um, as, as Conway says, doubt trumps wondering. It body slams mere curiosity. <laughs> In its worst form, it goes beyond simply uh, searching for answers to questions, inevitably denying the legitimacy, inevitably it ends up denying the legitimacy of the questions themselves. Um, again, for Christians, I agree with them. Doubt can either serve us or sink us. It depends on how you deal with it. Um, but things to remember, just as we close down here, doubting's normal. Um, again, I think Mark 9, 24, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Um, Christ is compassionate. God's compassionate toward doubters. Again, doubt's not a virtue to be pursued. These are just some of the bullet points. Doubt has many different causes. It's worth discussing where those come from and how to attack them. And doubt also has different solutions. I've found that some people just need a lot of good mentoring with somebody who has an evidence-based mind in Christianity. That helps them. Um, I don't know if you know one of the most able defenders and scholars, New Testament scholars, and most able defenders, public defenders of Christianity today is a guy named Mike Lacona. He's a close friend of mine. Uh, Gary Habermas personally mentored him through a lot of doubt in his master's program at Liberty. Um, so again, uh, uh, this is something that's really, really important. Uh, as a final, I did want to at least make a couple of comments here, and I'm just going to take one one phrase from each one of them or one sentence or so from each one of them. But I wanted you to listen to the thoughts of the greats, the people who have done an enormous amount of work for the kingdom of God and still have an impact today amongst Christians and non-Christians. Um, uh, listen to St. Augustine, doubt is but another element of faith. Listen to the great John Calvin, who at one point was drawing five to five to 6,000 people a Sunday to listen to him preach. Surely, while we teach that faith ought to be certain and assured, we cannot imagine any certainty that's not tinged with doubt 
or any assurance that's not assailed by some anxiety. Charles Spurgeon, quote, I do not believe there ever existed a Christian yet who did not now and then doubt his interest in Jesus. I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. The great C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis, quote, Now that I'm a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. Uh, the, the, the Pentecostal theologian uh, Karl Barth, quote, But in the crisis in my own life, I told my wife that for the sake of honesty, I had to go all the way back, all the way back, uh, uh, to my agnosticism and think it through, think the whole matter through over again. Arguably one of the greatest evangelists in the modern era, Billy Graham, Jesus called the devil the father of lies, John 8, 44. Does this mean the devil is directly responsible for every doubt we have? Not necessarily. Often doubts come from within our own hearts and minds. But in reality, it doesn't matter where our doubts come from. The important thing is what we do with them, close quote. So again, the Bible also uh, depicts many characters who are barraged by doubt. Um, again, you, I mean, think of even John the Baptist, who is called the greatest man. One of the best uh, sermons I've ever read was The Greatest Man with the Greatest Doubt. It had been delivered uh, and updated by someone. Um, but incredible, incredible that Thomas, the herald of the Messiah, struggled with doubt and struggled with the idea that God could have delivered him and didn't. He allowed him to stay in that prison cell and be beheaded. So um, the Bible's full of doubters uh, and they all have something in common. They're all believers as well. Splintered believers, doubting believers. As uh, Bobby Conway says, torn believers, humans like you and me. Sounds like an oxymoron, but these believers did eventually learn to doubt towards faith, and that's what we want to do here too. So to that end, um, we want to, again, you can, great Christian scholar C. Stephen Evans, uh, listen to this in their book. The great saints are not people who are always free of doubt, but rather people who are able to deal with their doubts and act decisively in spite of them. And that's what these characters learned, whether biblical or in the history of our church or our great tradition, from modern to medieval uh, to ancient to, uh, to uh, pre-Jesus and post-Jesus. So um, it can be done. It's not easy, but it can be done. And God cooperates with us to bring us through doubt and to make our faith stronger by giving us beauty from ashes. So to that end, in this series, we're going to explore the causes correlated, the causes that might just be correlated or causing doubt specifically in uh, people of faith as well as people nominal in their faith all the way to non-believers, what their greatest sources of doubt are in the modern world and addressing them in a, in a summary fashion, but nonetheless getting us more conversational about these things. We hope you'll want to kind of stay with us. 